Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello there, it's the Leaves Up podcast again. I'm Matt and I'm joined by Andy. Hey, oh. James. Hello. And Paul. Hi. And we're back together remotely from our homes to talk to Simon Grayson today. Very exciting interview coming up. But before that, I want to remind you of our prize draw. If you go to leadsthat.com forward slash donate, you can enter the for the chance to win lots of prizes. Andy, tell me some of the prizes. A signed shirt by Jermaine Beckford. We've got a signed shirt from Pablo Hernandez and Tim Bresnan, a signed Yorkshire cricket shirt. We've got some signed DVDs, including Do You Want to Win? signed by Lee Hicken, and As Good As It Gets, signed by Jamie Jones Buchanan of the Leeds Rhinos. What else have we got, Paul? Got a signed lyric sheet from Ellen. It's like the Generation Game. It is like the Generation Game. There's a uh, Calvin Phillips Funko. There's a oh, yeah. signed, signed book by Bryn Law. Signed book by Stats. Yep, signed book by Andrew Stats-Dalton. But anyway, all of this is available to win if you go to leadsthat.com forward slash donate. We've recently added a signed David Batty poster that Barney kindly added into the pot. So if you fancy winning that, please go to leadsthat.com forward slash donate and uh, donate £5 to one of uh, the charities we're raising money for, Orb Community Arts in memory of James' dad, Stuart, and York Special Care Baby Unit in memory of Paul's son, Jack. Uh, And if you want to know more about that, go back to uh, episode 58 in memory of Jack and Stuart, and uh, you can find out more. Speaking of the Generation game, that was Larry Grayson, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And uh, we've been speaking to Larry Grayson. How how are you, Simon, and how are you coping with the uh, lockdown situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, to be fair. I'm trying to have a bit of structure in my life. Um, in the morning, trying to get some exercise done, whether out on my bike or in the gym, um, or finding jobs around the house that I didn't realise existed. Um, and then sort of, because it's been quite nice, you're able to do other things, long walks and other bits and bobs. I've done plenty of podcasts and interviews, which is keeping me busy and reminiscing with the clubs I've managed and, and played for. So that's been all good. Um, so, yeah, I'm OK. I'm like everybody... You're just trying to keep some sort of structure, but also waiting for uh, for us all to overcome this horrible illness and disease that's going round and we can get back to some sort of normality. Have you learned any new skills? I've become a pretty dab hand at scones, as you can probably tell by my uh, figure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, to be fair, I, I got, I've always said I wanted to learn, be able to learn to play the guitar and um, I got bought one, two, nearly three, big, 
two Christmases ago and I've had it out once in two and a bit years. So uh, I got threatened with it going on the bonfire recently if I don't get it out and they haven't done still. So I expect it to be disappearing very soon because it's just been too nice to do with it things really so uh yeah i'm just jet washing with flags and stuff like that in the back garden i've come a bit of a dab hand at. if you had a band what would you call it oh happy as larry <laughs> nice <That's> very good <laughs> not bad to be put on the spot that to be fair <laughs> you just sold four records anyway <laughs> how have you been without football then because uh, obviously you were at blackpool in the season and just for all this kicked off, you, you left. Um, how's it been? I haven't been too bad, to be fair, um, because I've been doing it for like 35 years, really, on and off. <laughs> um, mainly on, to be fair. It's only the last couple of years where I took a year out last year and did a lot of media work, which entailed watching a lot of football and working for Sky and Talk Sport and stuff like that. So sometimes it's nice to have a little breather away, but it's it's different when you sort of can just switch the telly on or you can switch it off, you can pop to a game. I think that's the hardest part for us that during the daytime I'm, I can cope and everything, but it's just having that opportunity to this morning time to go and watch a game, do a little bit of media work or even just pop to the pub and watch a game. Sky love replaying that um, playoff final for Preston, don't they? I was just saying that about 20 times already when Beck forgets that trick. Well, imagine if uh, they'd had the Leeds Man United FA Cup one. That'd have been on a few times, but they haven't got the rights to it, have they? <laughs> you and your son became the third father-son combination to play for Blackburn. And then the previous two were like 90 years before that. And we've heard a lot about like how Bales has got the monastery regime at Leeds on, under lockdown. From what you know, like through your son and through other people, how do you think other clubs are, are doing? Well, I know that I live near the training ground at Blackburn, to be fair, and it's um, um, nobody's there whatsoever. Um, I think a lot of the academy, it's not the academy, the like under-23 staff have been furloughed as well. So uh, my lad's been injured for five months. with a, He had an operation in his hamstring that came off the bone. So he's been just getting back to his, his fitness when it all, uh, all lockdown happened. So he's had to do a lot of his own work still um, because they're not allowed to go in so pretty much like Leeds and a lot of the other clubs people aren't going into to football clubs you see certain clubs are doing sort of sporadic lads going back to training it looks like there's going to be a few more people that are going back on a more frequent basis but I do know a lot of um, other managers and coaches that haven't been anywhere near training grounds in a long time No, just thinking about the fact that your son's in, in football was that something he, he aspired to do through seeing the career you had, or is it? A, did you want him to be a footballer, or what? What advice did you give him? Uh, well, I'm sure he wasn't being inspired by his dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it was. It was just in his genes, really. That, um, like it was with my dad, who was a school teacher for me and my brother. And obviously, my brother ended up being a professional cricketer and, and coach, and he's back at Yorkshire now. My dad played cricket and football to a high level, non-league level, given that there was no money really in football back then. So, we would follow him around and participate in all the sports, and and Joe just got sort of. Um, just ingrained into it, really, kicking a ball around. But I certainly wouldn't have forced him to do anything uh, in terms of going into football. If he chose and turned around and said to me, look, I don't want to do football, I want to go and do something um, completely different, then I would have certainly respected that um, because I know that it can be a great lifestyle, but it can be a real tough one as well because the, the, the opportunities and the percentage levels of making a real good career out in the game isn't, isn't very high. So... 
he's had to go through a lot since he's um, since he started at probably seven when he first came. He's at Blackburn um, to, to suffering a few injuries and being left out of teams and. Um, it's tough, but obviously he's, he's still not quite made it yet because he's not played really enough games to um, classify as a, a top, as a professional. Um, he's played at Blackburn, obviously, a few games and went to Grimsby on loan. He's, he obviously suffered this injury, but he's only just turned 21. So um, hopefully he's got time on, time on his side to to develop and if he, whatever career he has, then I'll be... Really proud of him because uh, one, he's made his debut already, and two, um, I know how hard he's worked to to get to where he is, and I know how hard he'll work to to be as best best that he can do. Do you get more nervous watching him play than you do the teams that you're managing? Or like without, oh, sorry to interrupt, without a shadow of doubt, I, the, when he made his debut, I'm sat in the director's box at Blackburn, and I honestly I kicked every ball for him. Look, when when I played, and I played obviously in the Premier League and, and playoff finals and things like that, and you could control that because I was in charge of me making a bad pass or mistiming a tackle or setting somebody up or doing whatever. And even as a manager, you're obviously in charge of your players, your structure, how you're going to train and play. But once you cross that line, you have a little bit less control. But as a dad, you just sat there. You're just like thinking, oh, flipping it, just... Yeah. Just make sure you get your first pass off and do it nice and easy. And then I'm thinking every time it went to him, I'll just do it safe. Where I know he's capable of being a real, he was comfortable in what he was doing, but obviously it was a different level of where I was. Um, and it was it was strange because this pre-season when I was at Blackpool, Blackburn played as the last pre-season of the game and then he came on for 20 minutes at the end. And I'm like that thinking, I do not need him to contribute to the team scoring against my team or in making a mistake for Blackburn him to allow my team to score. So fortunately, it ended up, it was 1-0 when he came on and ended up 1-0. So I was, I was quite pleased how he did and how it ended up. Could it turn into like a, a Bruce situation where you uh, take him anywhere you go in the future? <laughs> um, well, I think I've, would tr- I'd rather try and stay away from that. I'd rather let him um, um, try and make his own back and, and people maybe judge him for what he does rather than his dad taking him for the right reasons or wrong reasons. I know people have said to me in, when I was at Blackpool, why don't we take your lad on loan because he's a good player? And it mm. certainly fit into our team, um, but fortunately, unfortunately, but fortunately, he got injured at the when we were talking about this. So I didn't have a decision to be made. Um, but um, yeah, I would try and stay away from that. But if it means me signing the best player out there in a position that I would look into, if I was a manager and he was available, then I wouldn't say no. But I'd rather do something differently. That's for sure. I think that sort of some role had already been taken, hadn't it? Because you know, like Neil Warnock had Paddy Kenny. You had you had Jermaine, didn't you? <laughs> to be fair, Neil Warnock had more than Paddy Kenny. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, obviously that uh, relationship that I had with Jermaine is, is quite a close one. Um, it's, we we worked well together. He knew exactly uh, what I expected from him, and I knew what I was going to get from him more times than not. Good things and bad times. Like any relationship, you have um, good moments and you have um, some not so good moments because there has been a few occasions where I've throttled him a few times, especially when he's been sent off for fighting with his own player and then coming on his sub 
for Preston against Leeds, told him to affect the game, and then 10 minutes later he sat next to me because he'd been sent off again. So, <laughs> yeah, so far, no, that was all part of the plan, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, anytime he does come, he, he, he should have it in his contract that he's not allowed to play against Leeds because he just has this strange situation where he, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> I, remember, I remember Nigel Pearson taking him off at half-time, didn't he, when he was at Leeds, uh, playing for Leicester at Leeds, I think. And he was doing the salute to the cop. I think Nigel thought that was a step too far. <laughs> Let's get on to your time at Leeds then, uh, as, as manager, if that's all right, because that, that's the bit I personally remember most fondly. Well, can we not start on my career then, and we can get that over and done very quickly, to be fair? No. <laughs> Go on then. No, I'm on. Well, I made my, de- made my debut at 17 and left at 22. There you go. Let's talk about the managing side then. <laughs> How was it? Obviously, you, you you played for the team you loved, and then you got a chance to manage them. Was it? Was there any trepidation about taking the job, or was it just pure buzz and excitement and get stuck in? No, I had no hesitation whatsoever. As soon as I got that call um, about trying to be the man, trying to come as a manager, I was desperate to to come. Um, People, people might forget that Blackpool where I left we were in the championship and Leeds were in League One at the time but it was too big an opportunity for, for me to take regardless of my support in the club it was all about where I was as a manager and getting the opportunity to manage the size of a club of Leeds United was, was the biggest attraction that you could possibly have coupled with the things that we mentioned then it was a no-brainer and, and it wasn't easy to get out because Blackpool um, didn't accept my resignation. Um, Ken Bates obviously said, just said, get yourself over here, we'll sort all, <laughs> all the legal business out. And knowing Ken like I do now, then I understand that it, it, it was partial to the odd court case. How <laughs> <laughs> was it working for uh, old Batesy? Can we talk about that much or not? I remember doing a Q&A with, after I'd left and uh, I remember... Um, me and Snods were doing it and we'd had a couple of drinks where we were doing it. I think we did it at Sherbin Elmer, something like that for Hayden Evans, who's my agent at the time. And, and we were saying a few things and the next day I remember getting a call off him sort of saying, um, I've heard you've been slaughtering me, this, that and the other. If you're not careful, you might get a, a lawsuit against you in the future. So, But I didn't, wow. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind him to be fair because he... He gave me the opportunity to come back to Leeds and manage the club. Um, I knew exactly like how he was. Um, I learnt to to deal with him. Um, the one thing that he's probably he did that a lot of current owners, you would say in the modern game, do a lot is that they interfere. He never did that. You know what I mean? He would he'd just let you get on with your job. He'd criticise you if you had a bad result, um, but he wasn't sort of for. A, why are you playing him? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? He, he really left that to Gwyn Williams, who was who was eyes and ears. Yeah, obviously the downside that we never spent a great deal of money, and a lot of the players left who, who we felt we could really turn into a, a real top top group, um, especially when we're in the championship because we were talented in League One, but we got even stronger if we'd kept the players in in the championship to to pe- potentially get to the Premier League. So um, I didn't mind working with him. He, he was. You knew what you had to do. I knew I wasn't going to go and spend millions. And you, and I've always been like that with the owners. I've worked with um, Carl Oyston, who, who probably grounded me quite well to start with. And then <laughs> down the line, I've had Dean Hoyle and Peter Ridsdale as well. So I've, I've never had sort of too many uh, steady away characters. Did you ever find the war chest or Simon's pot, or whatever you want to call it? I've just brought it over to my house now. And Have you? Nothing in it. Yeah, there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> 
was going to say, Sam, when you arrived at the club, we were probably at our uh, lowest, well, we were at our lowest point ever in the club's history. So I'm interested to know whether that felt like there was, you know, no, not so much the expectation on you because, you know, you, you there's only one way to go. The only way was up, really, when you arrived. The runner games that we'd had before that first game that you came into. But equally, the pressure must have been quite intense for the size of the club and the pressure to get out of that situation. Yeah, and that's what attracted me. I like I liked the the pressure that you have to put yourself under, and other people put you under as well. Um, and why why would you prefer to manage in front of maybe six thousand in, in or in front of in League One twenty odd thousand? Obviously now in the Champion thirty six, thirty seven every week, and and that's sort of what I wanted to do. And I knew that the club had to sort of find its feet, and then hopefully. Um, after a few months of settling it all down, that we could go again and, and start building again over the next well, each, each season, really. That's what I looked upon. Um, but ultimately, I had to stabilise the shit very quickly. Not stabilise it, because stabilising wasn't going to be good enough. We had to stop the rot of sort of a few losing runs, get back to a winning mentality, but then have to pick it up again to make sure that we, we either finish it, that we finish the season really well. Ideally, we'd love to have had a promotion, which would have been a, a dream start. But ultimately, by getting to the playoffs was a bit of success, you would class it as. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it was it ended up being another year in League One, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, MK Dons, which was Gary McAllister's uh, last game in charge, it was, nobody was thinking we were ever going to be making the playoffs that season. And I remember uh, the Snodgrass's equaliser in the Boxing Day game in your first your first match it feels looking back that that was the moment when we turned the corner really and started that long slow march back to the championship yeah I think I think when you when you first take over a club you obviously want a positive result and a positive result just means not losing you know what I mean I knew that Boxing Day was a fantastic fixture in, in, in football anywhere and going back um, to Ellen Road on, a, on that particular day and then against the team who were probably top of the division a team that I'd played for for six years, it had so much <laughs> about the game, and um, and it was it was great for Snod to score the equaliser, and and that really so sort of just halted the the run of results that the club had had, and and allowed sort of a little bit of confidence to to come back, and then I think we went to Stockport and won a few days later, which galvanised everybody again, and I know what it's like, and, and you lads will certainly know it that suddenly turning a negative into a positive can t- and spiral can, can develop very quickly and, and the confidence came back and you can get on a roll and and that's what sort of happened over the remaining months of that first season for me. And what about the atmosphere uh, in the, the Millwall playoff game? Obviously when the, when Becchio scores, did, how, how did you feel then? Did you feel confident we'd go on or did you... Did you foresee what was going to happen in Leeds at that moment? <laughs> well, we, like, I thought we played quite well on the night. The atmosphere was electric. We got the goal, and we had a real head of steam headed into the uh, into that sort of period of the game. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Paul Robinson, their centre back, had a head injury. Whether it was being professional and just taking the sting out of the game, it just sort of it just really halted us in what we were yeah. doing and. And we couldn't regather really that momentum that we certainly had going at that particular time. And and once you find get the momentum away from you again, it's very difficult to pick up a, to to get it going again. And ultimately, then I think it was Jimmy Abdu who's hardly scored a goal in his career 
goes and sort of scores um, to go 2-1 up and it made it very difficult for us to get through again. It was one of those players in that in that period of time being a Leeds fan that always had a really good game against us. There was him and there was that Dave Perkins who... Uh, did you have him at Blackpool, did you? No, no. I remember he was at Rochdale and Barnsley, wasn't he? Yeah. Barnsley he played well at. Always looked like flipping Messi when he played for Barnsley against us. And the rest of the time he was dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm doing talking about this the other day to somebody, and I think it was just sort of players lifted the game, and and supporters of the opposition lifted the game every time it was Leeds United. We were the big fish in the in the division, and everybody. Well, even now in the Championship, it's no different to what it was in League One. That. All of a sudden, I know I'd go to games the, the week before to watch the opposition and there'd be about 2,000 people there. There'd be no atmosphere. Then all of a sudden, you go the following week and full allocation of two, 3,000, 4,000 of Leeds fans is there. Suddenly, the home allocation is all full as well and players are then playing with a spring in the step because there's, a, there's the adrenaline's flowing. And that's what you have to deal with when, when you play for Leeds United. You have to deal with all these other factors that... Uh, Players and crowds lift their uh, lift their air game or lift their game to bring their air game to the table. On on that theme, um, I was watching a debate with some Leeds fans on the internet the other day who were talking about players that have scored more goals against Leeds than they scored for Leeds. And one of the names that came up was Billy Painter, and uh, I wanted to specifically ask you about that Swindon game. Uh, early 2010, one of the coldest nights I've ever experienced in a football ground, I think. A 3-0 defeat, Painter scored twice. And I, I think the thing that I'm interested in is that season was such a great season for us, but there were some really, really ropey results in that second half of that season. And I, I, was, reading on the, I was reading on the BBC website your quote after the game. It was quite strong in saying that some of the players, you know, starting to believe their own hype. Is that what you think went went wrong in that second half of the season? Um, I think there was a few things. We, we were embroiled in a lot of games. We were in the football trophy, whatever it was called back then, Checker Trade or whatever. We, we had that games. We had the FA Cup games, replays. We had a lot of games. And it's not easy sometimes, which we found with when you talk to the managers, that suddenly players are playing their best game of the season against Tottenham, Man United and all them games. And all of a sudden we have to go then to Exeter. And as we've just spoke about, their crowd, their players lift their game and it's very difficult sometimes to keep replicating the performances. So it was probably that, probably a little, I wouldn't say complacency from the players because we certainly told them week in and week out what we needed to be doing. It was just something that maybe um, the odd result give them the chance to refocus again. And I re- I remember that. You, you talk about the Swindon game where we lost 3-0 at home on a Saturday, wasn't it? Uh, there, um, no, there was a Tuesday night one away, I think. Was it? Uh, I, right. think lost, I think we lost home underway 3-0 that year, didn't we? Right. To we probably did. I remember the Swindon home game because we had, we had um, that was in April, that was, to be fair. on I think it was Easter Saturday. We'd obviously gone through a a run of games where we were up and down and then Swindon beat us 3-0 and we had to go to a function that night at Ellen Road in the Centenary Pavilion and it was um, all the players were there and we got some dogs abuse to be fair um, um, and 
rightly so. The players had not performed, um, but then we went to Yeovil on the on the, that Monday and, and won two one to to kickstart as kickstart the run at the back end of that season. I remember the game that you said on the Tuesday night. Now that it, yeah, we lost the beaters three 0 think in both the games. So. Um, People said I signed the wrong one because Charlie Austin was the other striker <laughs> up front, wasn't he? But yeah. to be fair, Billy, like you said, he's got a lot of goals against us and uh, went on to do quite well in his career. Sometimes it just doesn't work for a club um, through confidence or, or opportunities. I'm going to say, is that something that you've noticed as a manager that you've seen that there's obviously the thing saying that the Leeds United shirt's a very heavy shirt to wear. Um, is there a few players you think that just couldn't quite carry that yeah I think so yeah definitely I think even I learned that when when I was there with Howard and, and Billy Bremner in the 90s that um, uh, some players that you, you would see train really really well right through the week and then go into a game on a Saturday and not produce anywhere near the level of performance that you'd expect and, and again you, it's something you have to do as a manager that you, and you're not always given that opportunity to try and find out the strong, how strong a character and how strong a um, resilience that certain players have because of the expectancy playing for Leeds United. And I think even in when we're in the Championship that year, we brought in a couple of players who who went on to have unbelievable careers. Who really didn't. I, I know they were a lot younger, but people like Barry Bannon and Jake Livermore came in as young players and I don't think they really knew what did and when they came to Ellen Road because they didn't really um, do that that well to be fair Freddie Bassoni yeah again Freddie Freddie was one of the best players for Swansea in a real good team and just didn't be um, if, we've had, if we had a whistling competition he'd have won that because he was calling it whistling it was after that Barnsley game, wasn't it? I think was that when he got hooked and see you later. Look, there's he could have got any time. To be fair, there's, there's, uh, yeah, you lads have got better memory from me than I do. No. I've got selective memory. <laughs> on that on that championship season, Simon, um, there seems to be a few crucial moments in that, and I think that the fact you had to bring uh, Bannon and Livermore in was because, uh, well, I know Neil Kilkenny was playing. For Australia for a month or so and um, Bradley Johnson was injured I think so we were a bit short in midfield and that's why you had to bring him in do you think that if if we could have kept those two in the side we might have had a better chance of making a playoffs that year yeah yeah you would I would have thought so because I think Killer and, and Bradley were two key components of, of how, how we were playing at the time they knew exactly what we would do in certain situations they knew the players that they were playing with their strengths and they'd been at the club for a few years, so it wasn't a problem. It's always an issue when you bring players into a club, how quickly they're going to settle in. If they're young, can they handle playing for the club? They're settling into a hotel, new environments, do they know anybody? So whenever you're doing that sort of um, recruitment, it's, you've always got to try and get as many right as possible. Um, and sometimes you, you've got to go with what's available and the talented players that you think and hopeful that they're going to be able to hit the ground running. And uh, I do, as you said, I do think that then if the two lads had stayed and been fit and back with us, then it would have given us a better opportunity. And that's no disrespect to Jake and Barry because they've had great careers since. I think the moment for me in that season where I knew it were done, and as were you, Matt, I'm not sure if you were there, Paul, was uh, Palace away. I think it was the hottest day oh, down yeah. to man. 
It was the opposite of Swindon in the year before. <laughs> yeah, it was so hot, wasn't it? And I think they scored after three minutes. Neil Dans mm. was it, and then they got a red card, and then we just stuffed and puffed, and we just we were knackered. And I remember Snoddy trying to get up and down the wing, and someone had a go at him, and he just looked at him saying, "Are you mad? It's nine million degrees." It was like <laughs> kicking off at them. And that's what it. Is, is there any moments you can pinpoint from that season where you thought, "Why we just fell off"? Uh, probably January when they didn't get the chance to, chance to sign at centre back. <laughs> um, who, who did you want, Simon? Who did you want to sign at centre back? Uh, there's a couple, to be fair. Um, Gareth McCauley was one who was at Ipswich at the time. Who was? Um, oh, he's had a great career as well. Yeah, it was he was only probably three, four hundred thousand pound or something like that. And I, don't know, I think he might have been in his thirties or something like that. And um, one or two people suggested that his legs had gone. He wouldn't have been decent value for for the money we were paying. But he went and played till he was thirty seven, thirty eight, didn't he? And in the Premier League. Yeah, there was a lad at uh, at Blackpool ended up going to QPR. Casper Gorks was a Latvian international as well. Um, so one of them two would have been quite nice just to just to give us a little bit more uh, cover experience in that in that position. Another player I wanted to ask you about from that season is Ross McCormack because he went on to, well, one season after you left, he practically kept us up single-handedly, to be honest with you, because it was only him scoring goals. Um, he, he was a more of a bit part player in that season. What what was the reason that you kind of struggled to get into the team in your view? Well, I think I think we changed system. I think we've gone from playing 4-4-2 to, uh, when Jermaine left to go and play like a, a 4-2-3-1 and we played Johnny House and more as a 10 uh, with Luciano as your number nine, so and Killer and, and Bradley is probably your two old in midfield players. Um, so we, it's just the way that we played, and, and Johnny was great at doing that role. We, we just, I think we felt by playing that way, uh, Johnny would get up and support and get goals from midfield, but also he'd help out where we wouldn't get overrun, and we could go back to playing five or three in midfield um, when we we're out of possession. So. Probably Ross wasn't as as effective in doing that, um, and we always thought the first year in your championship you don't want to. We want it to be a little bit harder to play against, to try and not concede as many goals because you're playing against better players. If we'd still been in, if we'd still been in League One, and um, Jermaine had gone off to Everton, then um, Luciano and, and Ross would have played in a four four two. We just we, it's how we felt that we were going to play at that particular time. Did you try hang on to Michael Doyle? Because I thought he was outstanding in the League One campaign. Yeah, no, he was. He was one of probably the most underrated players. Um, Thank um, you for saying that. I get hammered for giving him like some love. I thought <laughs> he was yeah, Michael Doyle. <laughs> Andy's always think, talking about Michael Doyle. Well, I think when you look at his stats, he played forty odd games probably of mm. in that season, and and he did a lot of the stuff even the I watched the game again the other day the Bristol Rovers game and he'd just do things even when we had 10 men running back tackling keeping it simple and giving it to the the more effective players of, of you your Gradle Snodgrasses and Housens and Pup. he knew the job within the group that he had to do and you needed somebody like him um, and I, I don't know I don't know why we didn't end up trying to do that I'm not quite sure I can't remember why not I liked him he was, he was perfect he'd I still speak to Doyle now, to be fair. I liked him as a lad and I just can't remember why we never did that deal. I'll tell him I love him next time we speak. <laughs> Pass over regards. If you think about um, that moment there where it kind of then led to for, for Leeds as a club, 
several years of sort of plateauing and not getting anywhere near again. Do you think if the current team doesn't go up in whatever way it transpires, that that we could be in a position that we're facing that again? Uh, I'd, I'd like to think not, but I would think I think they would have to sell some players. I think to probably balance the books, maybe some of the players wouldn't want another year in the championship. They may be thinking that they want to go to the Premier League and, and get there. Let's just hope that these these decisions are having to be made. That it that the lad everybody stays. Leeds get the revenue coming for Premiership money, and it becomes a Premiership team again. Um, but to if if the worst case scenario came through and Leeds weren't promoted, then I, I would think it would be difficult to keep certain players because of the level that they want to play at and how good they are as well. If you're in the position that Leeds are in now and you're managing Simon, how would you how would you feel? Would you you know, if it was out of your hands and the, and the league had to make a decision on promotions and relegations, would you want to see out the season and play those final nine games? Well, I've said for quite a lot of weeks now when I've been doing interviews and that, that we've got to find a way of finishing the season if possible. As long as everybody's safe that we're talking about and getting the, the go-ahead to do it. Why can't, and, and I get the issues that are out of contract players and maybe they can find issues of resolving that, but why can't? Why can't they go into next season? Next season hasn't even started. So try and finish this one. If it means finishing in September time, we'll reduce the season next year by taking a cup competition out, playing another midweek game here and there to, to get the full allocation of, of games in. I just I just think you can, you've got to try and finish the season if it's all safe for everybody. I do, I do, I cannot see the season starting or finish as, and finishing with supporters inside grounds. I just can't see how that's going to work. Mm. Playing behind closed doors is a possibility, but again, it does have a lot of issues. But try and let it continue as long as you have to to get it finished. Nine games. We're not talking twenty odd games. We're talking nine games. You're talking three, four weeks of the season, where five weeks maybe where you can get it done and dusted. Players have just had their off season now, so finish it. Give them a, a shortened holiday, a shortened break two, three weeks and then you can go again before you know it you're not going to be starting too far away from the middle of the start of August when the season starts you might be into September maybe a little bit later but at least get it, try and get it done this year Right then you could have three players from this current squad and put them in your squad that just missed out on the playoffs first season back in who are you having? I'm going to, I'm going to stab at Calvin and Ben White you've got one more <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, now pick me team then. Now, why can't you name the third one for me? <laughs> well, I was going to say Stu Dallas, but yeah, I think it's the defence in it that you're talking about. We were fine going forward and midfield. We weren't too bad. I'd probably play Calvin at centre back because <laughs> we've got enough midfield players in there, and he can still step out with it. Ben White centre back. Um, well, we might as well go the whole log and put Luke Ayling in there as well. And so we've got three of the back four. Wouldn't it be nice to go back and do that for real? I think Ben White would be six though, wouldn't he? Yeah, that'd be an issue. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> He's done well, hasn't he? To be fair, to to to, be, to knowing where he was playing in the last year or so, to then go to the level of performances that he's done this year, being very consistent, he's been outstanding, hasn't he? 
I think we're all convinced they'll play for England. Well, I think you know that sometimes with players when you've seen them. I had Jordan Pickford at Preston and within a few days you could see what he was doing and then game situation. And then I said back then um, that the, this kid will play for England and, and he certainly did. And there's other lads, like you look at Cal- Calvin from two years ago. I'll be very surprised if Calvin eventually doesn't play for England as well. And Fabian Delph was another one as well. I think when we first saw him, we thought he might go on and he did, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You, I think there's certain players that just stand out that you know, unless they have a real tough time and lose the way, then they're going to have a real top career. So we'll get, we'll get on to the fun stuff in a minute, Simon, because we, 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 haven't, we haven't even talked about Old Trafford or Bristol Rovers at home. But I want to <laughs> just jump forward to, your, to the time when you left the club. Um, I, again, recollect a very cold midweek game away at Coventry where we were all singing, we want our Grayson back. And uh, there's only one Simon Grayson, which... Was it Valentine's uh, Day? It was, it was Valentine's Day. Look, looking back, it feels maybe a di- bit disrespectful to uh, Neil Redfern, but that's that was the mood around <laughs> the club at the time. Um, to what extent were you... I, I mean, at the point, you kind of want to hide into nothing because... Did you were you feeling oh well if they'd have given me a few more months we you know we could have turned it around or were you feeling well I'm not going to get the back in here that I need in order to improve the squad to meet the expectations of the crowd so actually you know I'm quite relieved to get to get the you know to get moved on. No, I certainly I certainly wanted to stay without <laughs> a shadow of doubt. We were only three four points off the playoffs as well and. Mm. It's probably the only time that Zidic had scored for Birmingham in most of his career, and he got after it that night. And it was just, it was a tough night because we had a young, a real young back four playing that night, and um, it was just that period of time where you just like to think that you're gonna, you might get a little bit of extra time to see it through, and and then you can sort of get it going again because throughout the season you're never gonna have constantly, constantly um, positive results all the time. Um, yeah, I certainly felt that we could we could get very close to, to the playoffs with the number of games that we still had left from February to the end of the season. So, yeah, I was obviously gutted to leave. It, it, it was more that sort of, had, had a little bit of a fallout with Quinn Williams, a little bit, nothing nothing major, but he, he was obviously making a few of the calls of what was happening. And I, th- I think one of the big reasons as well was that Neil Warnock was available and and between Quinn and Ken Bates, I think they felt that if they didn't do something with we're trying to get him to the club who had a record, obviously, and of getting teams into the into the Premier League. They might never get him again. So maybe if he'd not been available, then I might have kept my job and see where it takes us. Yeah, and uh, it proved to be a very bad decision. <laughs> we, we we sat through uh, a good five years of nothingness, really, total rubbish. <laughs> after you left, Simon, so yeah. at least you didn't have to do that. <laughs> no, it was just, obviously from afar. You look at all the how it was going with things behind the scenes, selling the football club, and then the owners coming in, chopping and changing managers, and um, and it was a, there was no consistency, was there? And there was no flow to the how things were running. I, I had an opportunity to come back under Chilino, to be fair. Um, spoke to him when I was at Preston, and I just I had a walk back, but. One, I was enjoying my time at Preston, uh, at Preston working with the people there and I just didn't trust what he was saying to me was going to actually happen. And uh, yeah, my, head was, my heart was telling me to come back but my head certainly wasn't. Did you not fancy uh, working with Belushi? <laughs> 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 Wait, is there any players that you've kind of let 
go from leads that you found really difficult to do so? Any really tough decisions that you can share with us? I think one of the hardest ones was um, with, with Casper Schmeichel, to be fair, because the problem that we had with Casper, that we got him on a free from Notts County, which is obviously a great opportunity and work to get him in the first place. And, and he, look, he's a great goalkeeper, but he had a two-year, he signed only a two-year deal, um, wouldn't sign after the first season an extension and the club just didn't want to lose money on him because um, he'd walk on a free that following summer. So they, the people above me took that decision to, uh, um, to to make him available and sell him. I obviously had to try and give my reasons why he was done, why we had to sell him. Um, but yeah, that wasn't an easy one because he knew that I mean a good goalkeeper was certainly going to be uh, a big big positive, and some, somebody like Casper has obviously gone on to to do absolutely unbelievable well for for Leicester and Denmark. Yeah, I I think, and it's also not just releasing, but it's the ones that you were, you lose, you having to sell. You know what I mean? It's a, mm. sort of on deadline day, Johnny Housen left, and then I got sacked a few days later. Anywhere, um, and then Max left before as well, and and you it's just a constant flow of your key players that were leaving. Um, and if we'd been able to, and I understand that not every club you can keep all the players all the time, but if we, if we had kept all them talented players and you put together the League One, the Championship team. We would have had some team, that's for sure. It's really interesting you hear, hearing you say that now because at the time, you, as a fan, you're thinking, but where are Leeds United? Why are they saying this? They're just taking the money and taking it. But is it was it really that bad that we just had to get rid of the players or else we'd be stumped? I don't know if it would have affected the running of the club in terms of any major things, but getting a million pound 12 months before somebody, or maybe more than a million, 12 months left on his contract, it's obviously the club that the decision that the people above you, they make. So as much as you fight your corner for it, you, you can't, you can't hold all the aces and, and make all the calls yourself. So go on then, it's time to crack out the Bristol Rovers and Manchester United. Simon, obvious question. You've been asked it a million times, but which, which was the better day for you? Uh, the Bristol Rovers one. Um, very close competition, by the way. I, I'm not saying this very lightly because the other one is held very, very close to being the best one. Um, just basically because of the cup game was really just a free hit um, and we had nothing to lose apart from a little bit of pride if we'd gone and beat, gone beat four or five but ultimately beating them in their own back garden, Premier League champions, 9,000 league fans there. You couldn't have asked for a better day out as such and result to, to cap it all off. And that was a cold day. So you must have warmed you up in a few other people. Um, but the Bristol Rovers, there was so much more riding on that one game and how dramatic that we all know it, how it was because it was our bread and butter. We knew that that win one game and we were promoted back to the championship and if we'd have to go into the playoffs, it would have been a real tough ask to motivate, to get everybody back on side again, the, the disappointment, the heartache. Um, and then you only have to then talk about sort of the, the roller coaster ride of the game. You're going through every emotion possible as, as a fan supporter and as a player and manager. Um, so, yeah, the, the satisfaction of that result and the relief was makes it probably the most important one and the most because if you hadn't done that who knows where a lot of us would have been I might have got sacked as well and um, 
never managed sort of in a, a legion no longer than I did. And it was a roller coaster, but it was it came on the back of the um, Charlton game. Would you say we probably should have we should have gone up the week before at the Valley, shouldn't we? Well, we just we knew that the two games it was in our hands, and um, we did everything that we could. And I think I had some, like seven forwards on in the last <laughs> five ten minutes of the game. We just yeah. used every striker on the pitch available because of it. It made it made no difference if we'd lost at Charlton. We still knew that the following week that we would have the opportunity to go get promoted back at Ellen Road. So, um, of course, we'd have loved to have done it that way, but. Well, you don't do things simple way, do we? In Leeds United, you've, you've got to do things with a little bit, little bit of added spice to it, don't you? No, and looking back, it was the right, you know, it was the right thing to do. It was the best thing that we could have done, really, because to go up in front of nearly forty thousand at Ellen Road is is the way to do it if you're going to do it. Yeah, a little bit simpler than the day that we had would have been a bit <laughs> nicer. <laughs> And and how you how do you feel for the team at the moment? You know, if we get promoted this season, we're not going to have that type of day. It's either going to be an announcement from the football league, or it's going to be uh, behind closed doors. So, to what to yeah, what extent will that affect the players? Well, you only have to you only have to look at the the anniversary last Friday of ten years and the euphoria around the ground and everybody just the excitement running on the pitch and the relief and the emotions everybody was showing it it is going to be something that is going to be missed by everybody um but i'm sure five or six pints deep later on that night everybody won't be too bothered to wake up with the hangover the next morning if it's all achieved and uh, realize it in the premier league but it would uh, it would be great if the share, the fans could share that emotional side of it again because the, the supporters have experienced so many highs and lows and the disappointment of last season against Derby I was doing some work for Talksport on that night and it was just one of them unbelievable disheartening moments for everybody connected and on the reverse of um, this year hopefully it's, it could be positive which I think everybody would ex- accept it but it'd be, it'd be perfect where if supporters were involved in it Matt you had a question about the documentary that you wanted to rephrase. So. Oh yeah, so we, we were obviously subject to uh, an Amazon Prime series um, last season, and you yourself were a, a star in a Sunderland Netflix series, Simon. But if we'd have had, if we'd have had cameras, or what, or rather, what was the moment when you were at Leeds that you're glad that there wasn't a camera crew there? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, probably half time when Max had been sent off. <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure, to be fair. Um, I wouldn't let the cameras anywhere near it as I did at Sunland. It's t- what, you, what happens at a training ground stays in the in, uh, the in the realms of the people that work in there and the dressing rooms. Um, yeah, look, it's. There was, I can't remember. There was a Leeds documentary of many cameras inside the dressing room. I probably, I probably don't. I don't think they did, did they? No, not no, there wasn't no, any no. dressing room stuff. No, and and, and then some sort of documentaries that can be edited and produced however people want them to be made. I think when it's a Leeds-based one that's been made, um, and the Man City one, it's all about positivity and stuff like that. When we were at Sunderland with it, I certainly limited them to few opportunities of being in around the dressing room and, and limited access. So then sometimes they edit things that maybe they don't edit in the right way as well because it's an outside company that are doing it and really not sort of giving a true reflection. I remember we won, we, we won at um, Norwich 3-1, I think, 
and the Somme is celebrating at Hull. Well, anybody knows Norwich have got green seats and Hull is like uh, gold ones, aren't they? So, um, and, I, and people don't always see the true reflection of these documentaries. I did three or four interviews because I was still contracted to do them, part of my contract, that I did three or four interviews a month after I'd been sacked. So I wasn't really going to do things with a real open heart and how wonderful the football club was it. But people don't realise that. <laughs> what, what did you say to Max at halftime? Well, it was, it was funny. Well, not funny, but I always go into my <laughs> office. I go into my office before at halftime of every game, whatever club I, with my staff, and just have two minutes to gather my thoughts and come up with what we're thinking and saying. You just knew that it was going to be like a Wild West bar in there. You know what I mean? That there'll be everybody will be talking, shouting. Max will be apologising, swinging for somebody. I was, I, I didn't know what to expect, but there was a lot of noise going on there, and ultimately. I just said, to, I think I'm pretty sure I said to Max, you get yourself in the shower. I don't want to see you. And you better hope that these lads turn this around for you. And, and it was all about really my 10 minutes with the players, what we were going to have to do for the, for the second half. What had happened had happened. We couldn't affect that. It was what we were going to do for the 45 minutes to, to make sure we got the end result of what we, we all wanted and expected. And, Obviously, the team's talk went well because we were one down a minute into the second half. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favourite thing about that is that Max was the first person down the tunnel for the celebrations after the game as well. I remember yeah. him bounding out of the tunnel. But he was a lovely lad. He always had a smile on his face and he, he just obviously had a, one of them red-hot moments where he even... Even Jermaine was trying to be the peacemaker and uh, get him off. And <laughs> Martin Sykes is trying to get him off, but Sykes, he can't look after anybody, never mind any players or anybody who falls anywhere in a tunnel. Sykes, anyway. Um, but um, yeah, look, he was, it happened. And um, fortunately, we got the result, didn't we? That uh, or else Max would have probably been uh, certainly more of the villain than he actually was. Should we get into some Twitter questions? And I said, else has got anything else to chip in with? Oh, let's do it. We've got enough of them. Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions, Simon. Yeah. Uh, a lot of love as well, which is which is nice to see. Good. Jimo Jimo says uh, that man deserves a medal. Shit, he put up with under that regime. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, no comment. Yeah, no comment is is wise on that one. I mean, it's a it's the classic, isn't it? But a few people have said, uh, Chris included, would you have done anything different in hindsight, um, or do you think you know everything was was you know by chance? I think I think, I think when you look back, you you do just whatever you can do to the best of your ability. You know what I mean? I was sort of tried to be as positive with the team in terms of scoring goals, entertaining. Um, sometimes you have to then have a sacrifice of having too many attacking players, you might concede goals. You obviously knew what type of players that you could only go and spend your money on if you were spending any money. So you worked as hard as you could do on the training pitch and the environment that you were working in. So I don't really think I could have done, I would change anything differently, really. Another classic question from Jackie Forever at Escape to Prague. Boxes <laughs> or briefs? <laughs> Boxes are briefs. <laughs> what under my tracksuit or my jeans? Jackie wants to know. <laughs> you weren't that specific. All <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'll just go with there. Uh, I'll go with boxes then. Uh, it, it, Safe to assume it's briefs under the jeans. <laughs> it, 
Ingham, Ingham 37 says, Simon, did you ever doubt us after our dip in form after the cup win in 2010 and think that promotion wouldn't be achieved? And did you use uh, Howard Wilkinson's statement of trust your swing when you were talking to the team? I had, a, I had an immense amount of trust with the players, knowing that we were a good group of players that were working extremely hard. It wasn't as if after um, the Man United game that the players were just on a jolly up and, and we didn't... I, I remember I did an interview the other day and Andy Hughes and Jermaine were talking and and we didn't do anything differently from the first half of the season to the second half. So we didn't change our philosophies, our ideas, our training schedules. We came in, we worked hard, we had a good crack in, in the, tra- the training ground and on the training pitch. So we, it was just that you get you get a moments in a season where it doesn't go for you. You've got to then accept that and keep believing and, and have the confidence in yourselves as a manager and trust in your players that you're going to get to where you want to get to. And uh, Jamie Whitfield has asked the, uh, the reverse of Andy's earlier question. So which player from your squad would improve our current squad? I think Jermaine, yeah, I think I look at, I look at him and I, I like Banford to be fair. I think he's a good striker, works hard, got a lovely touch, just doesn't sort of have that real killer instinct to really go and be that ruthless side of him. You know what I mean? I think he's a good kid and works extremely hard. And as I said, I think Jermaine, if there was an opportunity to score from a yard and somebody's about to shoot like Johnny, he'd go and take him off it just because he wanted to score goals all the time. So I think Jermaine would be in around that six-yard box. I think maybe Patrick does a little bit too much work outside the box, whether that's how he's been instructed to by the by Bielsa. Jermaine was a, certainly an 18-yard box, plenty of... He would get on the end of things from Harrison, Hernandez, um, Phillips and Erlin and all them sort of lads at the creative side because he used to, he wants to play between the, the 18-yard box, if not the six-yard box. How much do you get when Beckford signed? <laughs> oh, yeah, really. Fortune. Well, three, three, to be fair, he's done well for me. You know? he, 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 when I took him to Huddersfield, he, he, it worked well for us. He got us into the top six of the championship for a while and then obviously took him to Preston and uh, got me promoted. So that's it. He's uh, he's done all right for me. He's a, he's a cracking lad. We've had him on the pod and uh, he was more than willing to help us out. So uh, a lot of love for Jermaine. Only joking. Good. But, but that's He's here said. with me now. <laughs> <laughs> son, son. Jermaine, get me a cup of tea. <laughs> but that, that said, uh, Ellen Duck has asked us, uh, would you say that manager Jermaine Beckford for seven years had an adverse effect on your hairline? <laughs> Not just Jermaine. <laughs> uh, Who I, else? Just manage, I just think managing general is 15 years of being a manager does sort of uh, take its its effect on you as well. So, uh, yeah, as I said earlier, Jermaine's sort of not being the model pro all the time, but there's plenty of other lads that uh, are harder to work with than Jermaine as well. But I think it's just part and parcel of being a manager and uh, dealing with it. I look better with a haircut anyway. It's a you lads in lockdown now are struggling to get to barbers, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Uh, and maybe a couple of controversial questions. Gary's asked, "What the earliest? What's the earliest you were drunk in your Monaco meetings with Ken?" <laughs> uh, Twelve o'clock. <laughs> that's not too, that's lunch not too time. Right. Yeah, that's they, all right. They used to be quite. Yeah, well, McLean never used to get into uh, into Nice till about half ten, eleven o'clock. 
So I was only there. I was got to the. It used to work really. I used to go to the Cafe de Paris about half eleven, talk about have a couple of beers, glass of champagne, talk about football for an hour, and then that was just go back to his apartment and drink champagne all afternoon and get their flight back on the same day. So I'd go, I'd go get there sober and get home drunk. So that's where the war chest went on champagne. <laughs> it's all making sense now. <laughs> I remember, um, I remember going over there once, and uh, it was Suzanne's birthday. And he says, "I think you should buy her some chocolates." I went, "Yeah, fair enough." And um, he says, "Going to this shop for um, this is a favourite shop." And there's about he points to the ones I should get her, and there's only about six or eight in this box of chocolates. I went, "Oh, that'll do me." So I paid for him, and the woman went. Something I can't remember the actual figure, but it's about two hundred euros for about eight chocolates. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I claim that back on expenses. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is really exciting to tell us where the where Simon's pot went. <laughs> Trip to Monaco. There were only few and far between. There was only a couple, quite a few, maybe. We'll caveat that. Don't worry. Did Did Lorimer really push selling Snoddy and Becky? In your time at, at the club, I don't think I don't think he pushed selling them. To be fair, um, no, I, I don't think Peter had that much influence on the sales. It was more that was more to do with um, Gwyn Williams and, and the owner and Ken. To be fair, I don't think Peter had that much influence in that sort of stuff. I, I fell out with Peter a little bit at the back end of my career at the time there because he sort of wrote in um, something in the press about what I should have been doing when behind the scenes he was telling me something different. So it was sort of a double-edged, it was something different. But I get on really well with Peter to this day now. You're always going to not, you're going to disagree with certain things that people write and stuff like that. But now Peter never had a major influence on any on in any sales of players and and then I, love, I love Peter to bits. Thanks for the question, LUFC Arkansas. Right, I've got some quick fire ones, Simon, if you're up for it. Go on then. So we've had uh, boxers or briefs, haven't we? Not my question. Uh, what was your favourite game as a player that you played in? There's two. I was captain. I was the first captain to win, lift a trophy at Wembley when I was at Leicester, won the, like, the equivalent of the championship playoff. Also scored in the semi-final of the League Cup to get to Wembley as well, um, which we ended up winning that season as well and I didn't score many goals so two games one against Wimbledon in the semi-final and uh, against Derby in the championship playoff final So other than Leeds what's your favourite game as a gaffer? Preston um, playoff final 4-0 Best signing? So you can so you know you can put this into context or not sort of I signed Jordan Eugle from Port Vale Reserve for 20 grand and sold him for 9 million to West Ham so that ain't bad mm. business in terms of McCormack was three hundred grand and he went for twelve million. But you, what I'm saying is you, you you you're measuring best signings by how much you bought somebody for and how much you sort of then selling them. So in, in, influential um, player then influential player. I would have said I, I like Snodgrass. I like John, Johnny Alson would be one of my favourite players because he just do anything for you. They can play in different positions. Mister the model pro. So it's probably got to go back to sort of probably Jermaine again, because not just because I'm not, not saying it, but he, he got us promoted. He scored four goals in the semi, in the fat three goals in the final. Sorry, he scored three in the final and four in the two over the two legs to get Preston promoted in 2015. And they only signed him in the January, so that was a massive sort of influence on a team. 
Um, so you would say him. Wes Hoolan was another fantastic player that I brought down from Livingston when I was at Blackpool as well. What about Phil Ince? There's going to be a few more. Phil, um, I like working with... I like Because I signed him, I like working with Max as well because I thought Max could just be... He could do anything. He'd work so hard. He had an edge to him, as we all know, but he could just do things out of nothing. And he just came into work with a smile on his face every day. Ian Miller described him as a bottle of pot because he knew him from Leicester. He said, you shake him up and fit and, and then open it up. And he just, that's Max. He'd run around like a, a bottle of pot spraying around everywhere. And I love that, that sort of appetite for training and the game and and um, his just way of life, really. Worst signing? <laughs> <laughs> I am not answering that because it's too, it's harsh on the whoever I say it about, to be fair. There's a few. <laughs> You can't always get them right. And there's different people remind me at different clubs of different players who said, God, he was shit. Um, <laughs> but I will not sort of, uh, I will not agree to any names on that one. Do you ever, do you ever have a player forced on you, Simon? Do you ever have to sign someone you didn't want? Um, I, I would I would say that you forced upon you, and, and this is just at other clubs as well. I think yeah. what you find is, you find that if the owner of a football club likes a particular player, you have got a better chance of signing him than, than if he doesn't like him, if that makes sense. I know there was a, a lad from, we signed at Preston and the owner paid a lot of money for and I said I wouldn't sign him for that. I would go and spend that money on two or three players but not that particular money on one player. But because he liked him, he spent that large amount of money. So I'm, what I'm saying is, it's, I wouldn't say bang, you're having this player, but they are, they do influence if you can, if they sign the check or not. What's the worst Leeds United promo you've had to do as part of the club where you had to turn up and do something you just don't want to do? To be fair, we didn't have to do too many unless you've got something up your sleeve and, and going to remind me about it. I, I can't remember, I can't remember no, to do anything daft, to be fair. <laughs> um, I used to, if the, the word... I'm a true Yorkshireman in that respect. I think I think if there was if there was something that I didn't fancy doing, I'd delegate it to my staff. So don't worry about that. I'd go and open a garage and stuff like that because that's good to have contacts at garages, hotels, and, and holiday firms. I think we know the answer already. But Beckford or Becchio, both together are a good combination. But. Uh, I'd have to take Jermaine back. I thought Luciano and Jermaine were a perfect foil for each other, you know what I mean? Sort of the, the bounce off each other. Jermaine knew that Luciano would do all the donkey work and take all the hits from the centre halves and Jermaine would frighten defenders with his pace and his and, and his sort of uh, eye for a goal. Bates or Oyston? <laughs> it's tough, that one, because Carl gave me opportunity from when I was 35 to become a manager, given all this sort of... Um, he, he had no interest in the team or anything like that. He just let you get on with it. And Ken was the same and gave me my opportunity to, to manage Leeds as well. And I can never not thank him for for, give, for allowing that opportunity. So, um, yeah, probably... One without the other doesn't work because <laughs> Carl gave me my opportunity to be a manager and then Ken gave me my opportunity to be Leeds manager. So you're sitting on the fence, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> they're equally as good and equally as bad. Is that all right? Home or away? 
Is that a question? <laughs> Home. League or cup? League. Blackpool or Blackburn? Well, given I've just been sacked by Blackpool. Um, <laughs> and my son's at Blackburn. No, Blackpool more than Blackburn just because of played there three years and had two spells as manager. But Blackburn came sniffing and wanted a manager, you know, and with Blackburn all day long. <laughs> playing or managing? <laughs> uh, playing, definitely. I used to have long, long hair then. Um, I've got one, Max Gradle or Danny Pugh. Oh, Max all day long. I remember trying to justify it when we when we did that bit of business, and I was like, he's class, and he was a good player, but just want Max Gradle, was it? Yeah. That's exactly the case with Danny Pugh. He was a great servant at Leeds United, but he was not Max Gradle. No, and he didn't cost anywhere near what we what we sold Max for. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, uh, thank you for your time, Simon. We've actually got um, a prize draw that we've got running, um, that we've got for uh, in memory of Jack, Paul's son, and in memory of Stuart, James's dad. Um, where we've got some Leeds United memorabilia in the pot. You pay £5 to enter and uh, you can win some goodies. Have you got anything you can contribute? Uh, no pressure I, if not. <laughs> I will uh, I will find something and send something across to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, you don't mean a fine. <laughs> if, if you fancy winning the pot, it's, uh, <laughs> you can have a, a signed Jermaine Beckford shirt if you want one of them. Jermaine, <laughs> go get your shirt down here now. <laughs> <laughs> If, if if you put something inside, we could call it Simon's pot, couldn't we? Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Just a signed pot would be brilliant, like a signed yogurt pot. It <laughs> 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 would definitely be worth something. Well, uh, thank you so much, Simon, for coming on. And uh, also, thank you for the time that you were at Leeds and some of those moments that you uh, gave to us because well, they've been few and far between over the last 20 years and there were definitely some magic moments when you were in charge. So we really appreciate it and thank you very much. No worries whatsoever. Enjoyed it. Hopefully, yeah, the season concludes with with leads back to the Premier League, and uh, everybody can celebrate and party as long as social distancing happens. <laughs> fingers fingers <Yeah>. crossed. <laughs> at least, at least the team get promoted this year. They won't have Ben Fry telling everybody to keep off the pitch like we did. <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent positive spin on not having fans in the ground. <laughs> oh God! I'll take that. Well, thank, thank you very you, much, mate. Thank you so much. No worries. I never ever thought on the Bristol Rovers home game I'd be able to say I've had Simon Grayson in my bedroom. <laughs> well, you haven't. I'm on this Zoom record, whatever you want to call it, and he's been in my bedroom with me. I'm in bed. Worst part is he doesn't know that, or he didn't know that you uh, aren't wearing trousers. But are you wearing boxers or briefs, Andy? I'm going commando for Uncle Simon. I saw that reply and I thought there's no way Andy or anyone's going to ask uh, Simon Grayson whether he wears boxes or briefs but I was proved wrong asking the questions the fans want to know I thought that was a real treat being able to have a, a trip down memory lane for some of the better times in the recent memories because we since that time period we had such <laughs> that's that bloody peacock again <laughs> Oh my god! We just need to give it a regular spot. It needs to be our intro music or something. Since then, we've had some pretty woeful seasons, and actually going back and talking about specific games, like when we started talking about the Leicester game on Boxing Day, it was like being right there. It all started coming back, the feelings and the emotions. It probably got me missing missing football again because it's been a while.
How's your pet peacock? Uh, I think they're up the tree asleep now, so hopefully no more squawking. Before last week, I didn't know that peacocks slept up trees. Well, it was new to me. They were in a mass- they were hiding in a bush the other day. Laura, my wife said, "Look at the peacocks." I was looking around, and then she went, "No, up there!" And they were just in a, in a, some conifers, like pterodactyl. In <laughs> we we just had a really good chat with Simon Grayson, and we're getting into the behaviour of the neighbourhood peacocks again. I didn't know that they were turning to be dinosaurs, though. Pterodactyl, is that a new thing? Honest, next time you're allowed to come round here, we'll go looking for the peacocks. You have a look at their feet. I hope this lockdown goes on forever. What else did you think to the chat with Simon Grayson, guys? I really enjoyed it. It, I totally agree with you, Paul. It was lovely to go back and uh, reminisce and get the chance to hear it direct from Simon, what it was like at the time. Um, Like you say, some of those memories home and away in League One and then into the championship in that season uh, embedded in my brain as I think probably came out in the actual uh, in the chat itself and yeah it's nice to nice to relive old times isn't it you forget how cold it was all the time <laughs> it was though I, I guarantee you that that night in Coventry the night in Swindon and the uh, lunchtime in Manchester were three of the coldest games I've ever been to Andy's right though that Crystal Palace game was baking and we were right by the pitch and Snoddy did turn like right in front of us just turned around he's like what did what more do you want from me I'd just like to say again thank you to Simon for coming on Um, it was a real pleasure having a chat with you and thank you for providing a name for our prize draw by providing Simon's pot it's really weird that he's self-isolated with Jermaine Beckford isn't it it's nice though in a way isn't it do you know one thing we didn't do with Simon that I instantly regret now we finished what's that we didn't play behind closed doors with him no one knows what it's like to be the bad man to be the sad man behind closed doors gone and I'll do one Right, yet again, I've got a former Leeds player crudely sellotaped behind my closed door. Who is it? Did they play for Leeds United in the 1990s? No. Did they play for Leeds United in the noughts? Yes. Did they play in the championship? No. Are they a man? Yes. Did they play in League One? No. Did they play in the premiership? Yes. (laughs) Is this person English? Yes. Is this person now still playing at another club yes is this person a European cup winner yes did this person win the premiership with Manchester City yes did this person oh just say it it's James Milner yes it is hi James if only James Milner was behind your closed door yeah I would be persuading him to come play for Leeds in the Premier League next season does that mean I've got to have a go now then, yeah? Yeah, go on, have you got one? Right, I'm ready. Is it a man? Yes. Did they play in the 90s? Yes. Did they play in the noughties? Not for Leeds United. No. So, no. Did they play under David O'Leary? Oh. Or Paddy, as he's known. Maybe just. Have we interviewed this person on the Leeds That Podcast? No. 
Are they a defender? No. Midfielder? Yes. Are they European? Yes. Are they Portuguese? No. <sighs> Is it another Norwegian? No. Another Norwegian. It's got a I know. Are they English? No. Are they Scottish? Nope. Are they Welsh? Nope. Do they play on the wing? No. Yes. Yes and no. You can have another go. Are they most commonly known for holding a central role in the midfield? Yes and no. Is it Thomas Broly? <laughs> no. <laughs> French? Nope. Did they have hair? Yes. Were they a goal scorer? Yes. Were they a frequent goal scorer? Yes. Did we sign them after winning the league? Yes. Did they... Oh, I can't think of any questions or any place. Are they Italian? No. (laughs) I don't know who it is. I think once you get nationality, you won't be far off. Spanish? Nope. Here's my problem. I can't remember what our nationalities have been asked and what haven't. Um, have we said Irish? No. Are they Irish? No. <laughs> Are they French? Still not French. No, I thought we'd have French. Right, I'm going to give this some proper thought now. Proud of yourself, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> Wait a minute. Were they, oh no, whose question is it? It's my question. I'm trying to think of a nationality that we haven't said and that we've had a player of, and it's very hard. So I'm, I, I can see why, if you get the nationality, that's going to be the answer. I can't remember many, if any, midfielders we've had in that era who were from this nation. We've had other players from this nation in other positions. It's not a lone player, is it? It is. I think I know who it is. Go on, then. I'll, skip my, I'll skip my go. Go straight to James. Is it Willem Corsten? It is Willem Corsten. Yes. I oh. loved Willem Corsten, and I was gutted when he left. But then he got injured, didn't he? Um, yeah. At Spurs, and his career was pretty much over, but he was class when he was with us. He was a frequent goal scorer, scoring twice in seven appearances, nearly a strike rate of one in two. Three. <laughs> Don't worry, Andy, you can edit that to make yourself look, look clever. Nope, won't bother. So it's Thursday tomorrow, and that's uh, another eight o'clock clap for carers for all the fantastic work that they've been doing. Uh, I, I'm going to say full stop because I think it's very well documented how much uh, love I've got for the people working within the NHS. The last few weeks, Leeds United have put out a compilation video of people associated with the club who are clapping for, for our carers. And last week, we decided to have a game, a light-hearted game of Clap for Carers Bingo, where we had a guest who would appear. And we had, a, we had some winners, didn't we? Well, I say we did. I didn't. Yeah, me and James were grinners. Very much so. It was one of the ones where I was watching it and I was swearing at my screen at something that's really positive, but I was really irritated. It's bad, that, isn't it? I nearly went for Snodgrass. That was the one I was most gutted about, but nobody in the world was going to go for Mike Greller, were they? Mike Greller's the sort of person that it would take us days to get on behind closed doors. 
I don't even think Mike Grella's kids would have guessed Mike Grella. They had, they had a lot of Macron gear on, didn't they? I've kept one from last week and I've made four changes. I'm keeping Mel Sterling. Well, I'm not sure if he's already clapped or not, but I'm keeping him. And then I'm going Paddy Kisnobo, Richard Naylor, Iwick Backer, and John Sheridan. I think that's a good, that's a decent lineup. I, I've got a feeling Backer's done it, but I might be wrong. Well, if he has, I'm claiming the point for when he did. Has <laughs> Harry Kiel done it? That would be much bigger news if he'd done it. Right, well, I'm going with Harry Kiel, Robbie Fanola, Ian Rush, Lubomir Mikulik, and Lonergan. Lubomir Mikulik is the odd one out. Didn't play for Liverpool. James, who have you picked? Well, I'm going for David Sommer. Oh, is that on the Robert, back of Mike Grella's appearance? Yeah, it um, sparked some. Uh, it sparked something. Uh, Robbie Rogers. Yeah, I put Mike Grella, David Sommer, and Robbie Rogers in the same camp. As well. <laughs> really? This won't happen, but I kind of want it to. Alan Smith, David Prutton, and Ken Bates. <laughs> Ken Bates. That's a bold shout. <laughs> Matthew, you got you start with Peter Ridsdale. No, I'm not starting with Peter Ridsdale. I'm keeping my I'm keeping the four that didn't come out of the hat last week, which uh, is Victor Orta, Chris Moyles, Noel Whelan, and Richard Naylor. So me and Andy are uh, both got Richard Naylor this week, and I'm adding to my list Salim Lamrani. Ooh, that's a nice one. I think we'd all like to see Salim Lamrani. Right. Well, let's uh, let's find out if uh, who's right, who's wrong, and hopefully we've got some winners. Do you know what? I'd actually like Bielsa to be clapping. Thank you again to Simon Grayson for uh, agreeing to come on the pod. We had a great time chatting with him. And thank you for listening. Go check us out on social media or the regular platforms. Bleedstat.com. Speak to you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.